This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Victoria Safford. Whatever our vocation, we stand, beckoning and calling, singing and shouting at the gates of hope. This world and our people are beautiful, and we are called to raise that up, to bear witness to the possibility of living with the dignity, bravery, and gladness that befits a human being. This may be what it is to live our mission. Matthew Fox writes of the small work in the great work. The place in your little life and love, daily days and earnest effort as a solitary person within the larger life and larger love that some call holy, some call God, some call history, and others call simply larger than themselves. Like everybody else, we are doing small work within the great work of creation, and thus do we aid it and abet it in unfolding. Our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope, not the prudent gates of optimism, which are somewhat narrower, not the stalwart, boring gates of common sense, not the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges. People cannot hear us there. They cannot pass through. Not the cheerful, whimsy garden gates of everything is going to be all right, but a different, sometimes lonely place, the place of truth-telling about our own soul, most of all, and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world both as it is and as it could be, as it will be, the place from which you glimpse not only struggle but joy in the struggle, and we stand there, beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing, asking people what they see. Reading of scripture from Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned, because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like no one who is unclean, like, sorry, like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. (laughs) 
Holy Gospel according to Mark chapter 13, 24 to 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to you all, keep awake. For the word of God in Scripture for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Once upon a time, there was a poor fisherman who had no one to go out in his boat with him. The man he started going out with when he was still a boy was now crippled with rheumatism and sat all day by the fire. The other fishermen were all paired off and there was nobody for him. Out on the water, without a soul to talk to, the hours between daybreak and late afternoon were very long, and to pass the time, he sang. He sang the songs that other people sang, whatever he had heard, and this was, of course, a good deal in the way of music, because in the olden times, people sang more than they do now. But eventually, he came to the end of all the songs he knew or had ever heard and wanted to learn some new songs. He knew that they were written down and published, but this was no help to him because he had never been to school and didn't know how to read words, let alone the musical staff. You might as well have presented him with a clay of Egyptian hieroglyphics. But there were ways, and he took advantage of them. At a certain time, on certain days of the week, the children in the schoolhouse had singing, and he managed to be in the vicinity. He brought his boat in earlier those days on one pretext or another and stood outside the school building. At first, the teacher was mystified. But he saw that the poor fisherman always went away as soon as the singing lesson was over and putting two and two together, he realized why the fisherman was there. So one day he went to the door and invited the fisherman in. The fisherman backed away and then he turned and hurried off down the road back to the beach. But the next time they had singing, there he was. The school teacher opened a window so the fisherman could hear better and went on with a lesson. While the children were singing, there were three sisters, fair and bright. The door opened slowly. 
The teacher pointed to a desk in the back row, and the fisherman squeezed himself into it, though it was a child's desk and much too small for him. The children waved their hands in the air and asked silly questions and giggled. But never having been to school, the fisherman thought this was customary and did not realize he was creating a disturbance. He came again and again. People managed to believe in magic of one kind or another, and ghosts, and the influence of the stars, and reincarnation, and a life everlasting. But not enough room is allowed for strangeness, that birds and animals know the way home, that a blind man, having sensed the presence of a wall, knows as well to walk as knows as well where to walk as you or I. That there have been many recorded conversations between two persons who did not speak the same language, but each speaking his own, nevertheless understood each other perfectly. When the teacher passed out the songbooks, he gave one to the fisherman, well aware that his only contact with the printed page was through his large, callous hands. And time after time, the fisherman knew, before the children opened their mouths and began to sing, what the first phrase would be and where the song would go from there. Naturally, he did not catch as many fish as he had when he was attending to his proper work, and sometimes there was nothing in the house to eat. His wife could not complain, because she was a deaf mute. She was not ugly, but no one else would have her. Though she had never heard the sound of her own voice, or indeed any sound whatever, she could, she could have made him feel her dissatisfaction. But she saw that whatever he was doing was important to him, and did not interfere. What the fisherman would have liked would have been to sing with the children when they sang, but his voice was so deep, there was no possibility of its blending unnoticeably with theirs. So he sat in silence, and only when he was out in his boat did the songs burst, burst forth from his throat. What with the wind and the seabirds crying, he had to sing openly, or he would not have known he was singing at all. If he had been on shore in a quiet room, the sound would have seemed tremendous. Out under the sky, it merely seemed like a man singing. He often thought if there had only been a child in the house, he could have sung the child to sleep, and that would have been pleasant. He would have sung to his wife if she could have heard him. And he did try on his fingers to convey the sound of music, the way the sounds fell together, the rising and the descending, the sudden changes in tempo, and the pleasure of expecting to hear this note, but hearing that one instead. But she only smiled at him uncomprehendingly. The school teacher knew that if it had been curiosity alone that drew the fishermen to the school schoolhouse at the time of singing lessons, he would have stopped coming as soon as his curiosity was satisfied. But he didn't stop coming, which must mean that there was a possibility that he was innately musical. So he stopped the fisherman one day when they met by accident and asked him to sing the scale. The fisherman opened his mouth, and no sound came. He and the school teacher looked at each other, and then the fisherman turned red and hung his head. The school teacher clapped him on the shoulder and walked on, satisfied that what there was here was the love of music rather than a talent for it. And even that seemed something hardly short of a miracle. In those islands, storms were not uncommon, and they were full of peril. Even large sailing ships were washed on the rocks and broken to pieces. 
As for the little boats, the fishermen went out in one moment, they would be bobbing with the waves like a cork, now on a crest, and now out of sight in a trough, and then suddenly there wasn't any boat. The sea would have swallowed it and the men in it in the blinking of an eye. It was a terrible fact that the islanders learned to live with. If they had not been fishermen, they would have starved, so they continued to go out in their boats and to read the sky for warnings, which were usually dependable, that every now and then a storm, and usually the very worst kind, would come up without any warning, or with only a short time between the first alarming change in the odor of the air, the first wisps of storm clouds, and the sudden lashing of the waters. When this happened, the women gathered on the shore and prayed. Sometimes they waited all night, and sometimes they waited in vain. One evening, the fisherman did not come home at the usual time. His wife could not hear the wind or the shutters banging, but when the wind blew puffs of smoke down the chimney, she knew that a storm had come up. She put on her cloak and wrapped a heavy scarf around her head and started for the strand to see if the boats were drawn up there. Instead, she found the other women waiting with their faces all stamped with the same frightened look. Usually the seabirds circled above the beach waiting for the fishing boats to come in and the fishermen to cut open their fish and throw them the guts. But this evening there were no gulls or cormorants. The air was empty. The wind had blown them all inland, just as by a freak it had blown all the boats together out on the water, so close that it took great skill to keep them from knocking against each other and capsizing in the dark. The fishermen called back and forth for a time, and then they fell silent. The wind had grown higher and higher, and the words were blown right out of their mouths, and they could not even hear themselves what they were saying. The wind was so high and the sound so loud that it was like a silence. And out of this silence, suddenly came the sound of singing. Being poor ignorant fishermen, they did the first thing that occurred to them. They fell on their knees and prayed. The singing went on and on in a voice that none of them had ever heard. And so powerful and rich and deep, it seemed to come from the same place that the storm had come from. A flash of lightning revealed that it was not an angel as they had thought. But the fisherman, who was married to the deaf man, he was standing in his boat with his head bared, singing. And in, this, and in their minds, this was no stranger or less miraculous than an angel would have been. They crossed themselves and went on praying, and the fishermen went on singing, and in a little while the waves began to grow smaller, and the wind to abate, and the storm, which should have taken days to blow itself out, suddenly turned into an intense calm. As suddenly as it had begun, the singing stopped. The boats drew apart, as in one boat after another, the men took up their oars again, and in a silvery brightness, all in a cluster, the fishing fleet came safely in to shore. Today, on the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the candle of hope. Some might say hope is a grasping in the darkness, a kind of wishing for things to be different but not grounded in anything real. Yet the Greek writer Euripides wrote that nothing is hopeless and we must hope for everything. And Gabriel Marcel, and perhaps my favorite definition of the word, stated that hope is a memory of the future. 
Isn't that beautiful? Hope is a memory of the future. Or as Latin American Ruben Alvin put it, hope is hearing the melody of the future. Hope is hearing the melody of the future. Hope is what Jesus gives in our apocalyptic reading today in Mark. Remember, things were bleak for the average person living in Galilee or Judea in Jesus' day. Economically bleak, politically bleak, and their religious imagination had dimmed after many years of foreign occupation at the hands of Rome. An apocalyptic word represented a word of things to change on their head drastically. Hope for a return of the world to how God desires it. They didn't have much else, but they had hope. Hope is what Isaiah and the prophets are grounded in when they imagine a world with no more war, where swords are turned to plowshares and spears to pruning hooks. Hope is what we must be grounded in when we look around us today. Hope is what we need when power is abused and women are harassed with impunity. Hope is what we need when even in the church we must say, Hashtag church too. Hope is what we need when wealth is accumulated on the backs of the poor and tax plans are introduced, which dig the boot in a little deeper. Hope is what we need when the planet is crying out in pain and only squeezed all the harder to give up its last goods. Hope is what we need when even the safety of a church sanctuary turns to a chaotic scene of carnage. As in Jesus' day, it is easy to look around and feel hopeless. A cynic might say it is hopeless. Yet hope understood through the lens of Jesus and the prophets reminds us that things can be, indeed will be, different. Hope, as we defined it a moment ago, is a memory of the future. Hope is remembering that we are the clay and the potter is not done shaping us. When the art teacher gave you a lump of clay in school and said, make something, your mind raced with the possibilities. I could make a tree or a house or a dog or a person, a short person, a tall person, a wide person, a narrow person, or something that's not a person, right? I could make almost anything. But do we think about our lives that way? Are we open to being shaped I love this clay imagery for thinking about ourselves because it it invites us to imagine ourselves differently than we are right now. Are we pliable and and open to living in a new and different way? Or have we allowed ourselves to harden? If you leave a lump of clay out overnight, it hardens, right? It becomes the shape, uh, whatever shape you left it in when you set it out overnight, is the shape it's going to be. Its pliability is gone. Being pliable means that I am open to breaking a bad habit or adding a good one. Being pliable means that I can change. If you struggle with anger, can you envision a you who responds with calmness and patience? Can you conjure up a memory of the future where you breathe deeply instead of lashing out? If you struggle with addiction, can you envision a day where you feel empowered? If you feel in despair over the condition of our world, can you envision a day where you speak out against issues you care about, where you in some small way participate in acts that bring about wholeness and love and light? 
I think in many ways, this is what good spiritual practices help us to do. They help us remain pliable, and they cultivate hope. Prayer invites us into the quiet, to be present, to ask God to fill us and our world with peace. Gathering as a community like this gives us a taste of the world we long to see. It creates that memory of the future that is indeed hope. Hope keeps the clay pliable. Hope keeps us willing to imagine ourselves and our world differently. Hope allows the great potter to shape us into a more holy and human shape. Hope is an illiterate poor fisherman deciding that he wants to learn to sing. Hope is hearing the melody of the future. Hope is a song sung in the midst of the storm that can bring us safely home. And if you listen closely, you can still hear it. Amen and namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.